everybody, I'm Adam Hergenrother, and this is Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success. Today, I am joined by a special guest, Amy Eliza Wong, who's the founder of Always On Purpose. She's an executive leadership coach, author, speaker, and facilitator working with organizations such as Airbnb, Salesforce, Roku, LinkedIn, Facebook, and many more. On today's episode, we jump into a wide range of what it means to always be on purpose and spirituality and how math led her to go into the whole field of spirituality. I know you guys are going to enjoy our show. Amy, thank you so much for being here today. We're super excited to have you. I am um, thrilled to have this conversation. We did a lot of homework this week, uh, including diving into your new book, which we're super excited to talk about. Um, and just uh, um, who you've been as a person is quite the journey. So I'd like to start this off and ask you a question of what is your first childhood memory that you have had? Oh my goodness. Well, I was raised in a nightclub. Really? And, yeah. <laughs> and my um, parents who are the most amazing people on this planet, you know, they bought a nightclub when they were in their early twenties and it was the hottest rock and roll bar in all of Sacramento. And I was raised in a bar effectively. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, what was that like? You know, it was magic. It was, I, I, I don't know if it was, it's officially my earliest memory, but I have lots of just such good feeling memories of either being on stage in the morning, playing with my tinker toys or being behind the bar with my mom or sitting on the bar stools with the old regulars in the middle of the day. And, and what I thought were amazing conversations, you know, at three, I'm sure yeah. it's uh, yeah, those, that, those are very, very <laughs> meaningful memories is your um uh two kind of segues from this did, did you was the nightclub did it stay for a while or how'd that terminate or how'd that end or is it still going or no no my parents sold it oh. you know and i was around eight or between eight eight or nine or yeah. so yeah and my dad made a big pivot career-wise but my dad you know was, is still a musician was a musician oh, awesome. and yeah now he's big in the financial industry. It's, it's, that's a fascinating story <laughs> still. So, but yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that, um, in any of those conversations that kind of helped shape who you were, uh, or who you are today? No doubt. I don't know if there's any one particular conversation yeah. that really solidified or put who I am, but I will say you know, very early on, uh, fascinated with all things consciousness, all things, just this idea that there's something bigger going on and not through the lens of God or religion, but this idea of a universal consciousness. And I remember really, really early, really early, my mom and my grandma, my mom and my grandma are big into metaphysics and at a very early age, just being fascinated with these conversations. And I craved sitting at the dinner or dining room table with them with tea or coffee as they would talk about how thinking creates and our energy is so important. And, you know, the, our, and I was in, in just enamored by all of that. And it made so much sense to me, so much sense. And so I, if there were any formidable conversations, yeah. it were definitely those. 
How did that manifest itself into obviously um, who you are today, but how did that manifest from eight, 10, 15, 20, when you were at hmm. those ages in terms of, um, and was it more of like a knowing that there was something larger than life that you were trying to um, maybe figure out early on in your life kind of outside? What, how did that manifest itself yeah. in those kind of earlier years of your life? Yeah. I love that question. And I love the word knowing because that was definitely there. And really early on, I just felt, it felt like I was tapped in and I could see patterns and things. And I had these ideas about what really was going on. And I remember I must've been five years old. I was in the backyard and I was observing these ants on an anthill. And I had this really transcendent experience and it was, it was wild. And I, I was witnessing these ants and just through pondering their experience and what it was like to observe them and what it must be like to be them, but to observe them in this larger scheme, I had this wild, I don't want to say out of body experience, but somewhat transcendent experience where I got a sense that we were all connected. And it was, that was that knowing that, okay, I see it. And I can't put words to exactly what it was, but it was that, that moment. And that catalyzed a, a real hunger to know more. And so I think in fifth grade, I read a lot. And I remember being in the library with my mom, the public library, and I was in the psychology section and I had stumbled upon Thich Nhat Hanh and mm-hmm. mine, a, a book on mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it out and I just, I fell in love with that book. And that was in fifth grade. And so then that just really started this momentum where I wanted more and I wanted more. And so as a casual reader, I would find these books and read these books. And then I got into meditation quite young, but I think really how it manifested was my true fascination and passion for math. So then I studied math. And I think that math was my way of searching for truth in an objective way. And I was balancing that somewhat spiritual search with this very objective search. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of meditation were you practicing back then? You know, back in the day, it was mindfulness meditation informed by Buddhism. And, but, but really it was whatever I could wrap my head around and get my hands on. Yeah. 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 So how did, um, how did the math kind of really help objectify, um, either your knowing or the kind of the experience that you had and a kind of follow-up question to that would be, um, when you kind of describe a knowing, um, people, I think are, they have a knowing and then they go to their minds to try to justify the knowing, which doesn't work yeah. um, because it'd be like trying to create a communication structure for a fish to say that I'm in water. How do I know I'm in water when I'm in water? Right. It's just like, it's a knowing from there. And I think people tend to really get lost in that because they have the experience of knowing. And then yet they're so accustomed to using their minds to narrate yeah. their life that the narration of the mind cannot narrate the knowing. Yeah. How do you walk people through that? And is that, was that your step into using mathematic in numbers, which tell a very clear story, um, to kind of help objectify that? It's a great question. <clears throat> you know, with math, I think really what it opened me up to was a tremendous sense of wonder and a way of experiencing 
and articulating something ineffable yeah that was so comprehensive in our experience i i don't know if i'm doing a good job of explaining this but you You keep going but with you know with math it really was i mean to 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 get into the you know when you when you study it in college like so for me i went to cal uc berkeley and and pure i did pure mathematics i didn't do applied and honestly there there were moments where i mean it really is somewhat of a spiritual experience where you are you are die and, and oh and flow talk about flow yeah you you sit down to do this stuff and i think that's why i was so drawn to it because hours would go by and i'm from 2 p.m till 8 p.m. And you didn't, I'm like, whoa, where did the time go? You're so immersed in this world. And I, maybe it was purely for selfish reasons. I don't, you know, I, at that point in my life, I don't know if I was intent on making the world a better place just yet, but for me, it was immersing myself in something much bigger than myself. But I think the practice, the study, the practice, the rigor that was required in order to do this work really shaped and formed my mind and gave me a competency in, for logic, right? So being able to take very abstract concepts, find patterns, meaning, and then communicate them in the rather irrefutable way. And so I think that was, was the benefit in going that route, because now at this point in my life, being able to take a lot of subjective material with others, with leaders, whatever it may be, and make sense of it all and articulate it in a way that that is irrefutable is is really kind of, um, yeah. I'm not sure if this is <laughs> what you're what you're asking for, but um, but yeah, it's it, it, that that part of my life definitely set me up for here and was what I it, I, I needed it. My path needed it for sure. That's awesome. Um, you know, you've obviously worked with a lot of uh, really large companies um, uh, in the business world about kind of leading from the inside out. And I know mm-hmm. that's something that you really like to talk about. Can you walk us through what does it really mean to kind of um, to be leading from the inside out and, and, and yeah. maybe some examples of how like people always want to know, like I get intellectually, but when the rubber meets the, yeah. you know, the pavement, like what do I actually do? What does that actually mean? Can you give yeah. us some examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people think, oh, leading from the inside out means let's start with the mindset first. And that's, that's partially true, but leading from the inside out, what, what I'm referring to is that primary perceptual lens. Like all of us have a primary perceptual lens that we look out through to the world. And, you know, most of us think that the world is objective out there and that's not the case this lens that each of us have a lens that we look out and that lens provides the meaning. It provides the color. It provides the context. Mm -hmm. And so when we look out and we experience the world around us, that experience is largely dictated by that lens. We hold that lens is a combination of all the beliefs you hold about yourself in the world. And really primarily it's the relationship you have with yourself And that self-relationship is everything because how we regard ourselves forms that lens. And that is going to impact everything that arises from us, what we create, 
how we impact others. And so when I say leading from the inside out, it's going there first rather than, Hey, let's tweak the behaviors. Let's tweak the style. Let's give you some leadership techniques. Let's give you a new routine. Let's give you new practices to affect change. It's like, okay, we can do that. But unless we get to the real root of perception, mm-hmm. we're just fixing symptoms. Yeah. And if we want true transformation, true inner peace, true nourishing impact, we want to shore up that relationship we have with ourselves. I mean, in short form, it's self-love. Yeah. And, you know, self-love sounds like such a cliche, but it's not, it's this unconditional acceptance of self. And that's really what it means to lead from the inside out first. Thank you. Let me ask you a a question and you can take it in any direction you want. Um, It's funny because even the language that we use, which is like the relationship you have with yourself. So identifying that there is a subject object relationship in there. Like there's you who's Shakti, spirit, God, I don't, it doesn't really matter what words you use. Right. And then there's the self-concepts that we create, which is a collage of our beliefs, our past experiences, um, I, AKA formed as like the ego, right? So there's that kind of relationship you have with that. What about, um, and obviously you, you can always recall that in the memory, where does it mean from the living inside out, which is like, how do you remove the lens so that you objectively just see life? Is that kind of more that you're referring to, or is it more, um, when you say work at the root, which is like, how do you actually remove the lens so that you would, the Buddhist call like just tree, like you just see a just mm-hmm. tree instead of seeing it based on, through your lens, which is, I see the tree there, but I see it with all of my, how I want it, how I don't want it, my beliefs, I don't really like it there, kind of all your personal preferences and stuff stored in there. That's how we're kind of projecting the image of what we're seeing outside. And mm-hmm. is the kind of working from the inside out, is that working on removing that perception of how you see it so that you can just interact with life? Mm. I love this so much because I talk about this a lot in my book. And this is the difference of what I call the difference between a, the conditional paradigm in which most, most of us are stuck and the unconditional paradigm in which we have to choose, which really means as best we can removing that lens of, of condition. And so at the core, if we choose to know that we are unconditionally whole and complete, Mm -hmm. right? That means that I'm going to go through life with this, knowing that I'm, I'm essentially enough Mm -hmm. that I'm whole. And through that knowing, when I look out to the world because of that knowing, and because it's unconditional, I don't have the lens of condition. So I'm not, I'm not seeing things as proof, right? Because if I believe that I'm good enough, right? If, if I, if, if I am, if there's this lens of, okay, I got to prove that I'm good enough. I got to prove that I'm competent. I got to prove that I'm smart. I got to prove that I'm worthy. That's essentially a lens where, okay, I've got to prove. And so with that lens, everything now, when I look out to the world, everything looks like conditions for or against the fact I'm good enough or not. And so that's when we aren't playing an objective game. We are playing a conditional game and it's exhausting because we interact with things as as either threats or things as wanted. And so to really remove that lens as best as we can, it's to get right to the core and decide that we are unconditionally whole and complete. Now, what does that mean? It means it's a choice to know, irregardless of the evidence around you, it's a choice to know I'm enough. 
I'm enough. And even if you give me that hard feedback, doesn't mean I'm, it's not evidence that I'm not good enough. Even though I made this mistake, you know, and I stepped on these toes, it's not evidence. And so is the goal to remove the lens completely? I don't know if that's the goal. I think everybody's going to have their own desire for what their endpoint is. But to me, it's freedom. It's freedom to be able to take that lens off and interact with life in an objective way where nothing is a threat and nothing is so compelling that it's a need, you know, where I'm trapped in that, that search and that, that longing. Yeah. That's, that's what very well said. You know, it's funny because I think a lot of people, when they hear need, they go, I don't really need anything. Right. But it's not, it's like they instantly go to what they want to classify as a need or not need. Whereas Mm -hmm. when, you know, one of the first obviously the noble truth of, of, from the Buddha was all of life is suffering. And he followed that mm-hmm. up by saying all of life is suffering is because of desire or need or preference or a like, or dislike. Right. I don't know if you ever read the third Zen patriarch, but the first line of that is very powerful. One of the most powerful lines written that says the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And essentially it's a great way, high being kingdom of heaven within you, whatever words you want to use is not mm-hmm. hard for those who have no preferences, but also goes on to say, make the slightest distinction between you will set the difference in heaven and hell. Kind of mm-hmm. the same thing with that need is like, and sometimes when we bring this up, people are like, well, don't I need food? Well, you can have that, right? We're talking more of like, I need life to not rain. I need people to drive a certain way Yeah, because it goes way beyond just like, Hey, I need a boat. I don't need a boat. I'm fine. Right. It's not about <laughs> renunciation of things. It's actually about, um, it's not about renunciation or driving after things. It's about actually letting that part, letting the part of you that wants to create a commotion yeah. outside go so that you right. can actually interact directly with life. That's right. And the way I talk about that is it's being, it's having the ability to interact with each moment. Yeah. An aspect of life with no resistance. Yeah. With no, when we can interact with each moment and each moment with no resistance to the thing or to the moment, right? For example, that need, uh, I, I need no rain today, or I need rain today. There's resistance in that because there's resistance to what is. And when we can live in the moment where there's no resistance to what is, mm-hmm. that is true peace. Yes. Yeah. 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 I love that. So people go, okay, I want that. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I want, I want to walk around untethered, right? I want to be able yeah. to walk through the world with that's kind of like that absolute freedom, not financial freedom. That's a, that's a different component, right? Totally. Plenty of people that have plenty of money that are miserable. There's plenty oh, of people with any money 100%. that are the happiest people alive, right? <laughs> Yet we are still running around though, thinking that money is the cause of, uh, of us having some sort of absolute freedom, which is yeah. way far beyond that. Yeah. Um, so how do you, what is the first step? People hear that and they go, yeah, I mean, that I would like to be able to walk around. I mean, isn't that the definition of a true yogi? Somebody can walk around being yeah. undisturbed from the realities of life, yet interacting directly with life. Yeah. Where, where do people start? I know you, you know, talked about this in your book. I, and I love it. Yeah, it's, this is such an important conversation and it applies to, you know, all of our endeavors. And what I say is the first step really is to decide to care way more about how you feel. Mm-hmm. Because how you feel is telling you what's going on. I love that. Yeah. And and we and we we tend to dismiss that. And I think a lot of it's because a lot of us have been trained to dismiss our feelings or you know, shove it away or you know, don't cry, don't feel that, don't show. And so we we don't recognize that emotions are really are an incredible indicator. It's 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 information. Yeah. And it's inform information about our focus. And our focus is ours and ours alone to choose. We get to choose where we put that spotlight and we forget that wherever we put that spotlight is going to determine how we feel. It's like watching TV. 
if I want to sit down and watch a show because I want to kick back and relax and I turn on the TV and it's a horror film, I don't want to watch that. And so what do I do? I change the channel because I don't want to feel that way. And so we actively do that outside of ourselves. And we forget that we absolutely have that ability and capacity and, and privilege within ourselves. And so the first step is really to care. Because then when you care, the second step is, well, then catch. Catch when you're not feeling flow, when you're not feeling great, when you're not feeling peaceful, when you're not feeling settled, grounded, content. If there's any anxiety, if there's any, then there's a good, that's a sign. Don't get mad at yourself. Just notice that that is, that's an indicator that in this now moment, I am pushing against what is. I am making wrong what is. Well, is there, is there any good in that? No. It's like, why would we push against what is? If, if, can I do something about it? In most cases, we can't. So why push? Why eat up bandwidth, right? So that's really where it starts is recognizing that we're in the driver's seat and that how we feel is really there to tell us how we need to recalibrate and what we can do to shift. Yeah. So I'm, I decided that I'm going to care about how I feel. It's kind of like the first question you get up is like, how do you want to feel today? Right? Like you get to decide, I mean, regardless of what life does is how do you want to feel? And then you're going to catch when you're kind of unconscious or Velcro to thoughts, which is really where you take your consciousness and put it, you know, on something else that's distracting you. Yeah. What do, what do people do when they're like, okay, I'm, I'm caught again. Like, what do I do? Like, and they just start going through their mind to ask for the answer. Like what's that next step for people? Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point, that's when it can help to get really curious about, well, what is it that I'm pushing against? What is it that I'm resisting? It's like, oh, I'm resisting that I had to wake up this early for this podcast today. Oh, I hate waking up early. Or, oh, I had to, you know, I, I hate the fact that, you know, we have to, this, uh, 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 in the moment we, if we can identify what we're pushing against, it's almost inevitable, inevitable that you recognize the futility in it. Yeah. Right. And that right there, like, it's as, it's as simple as if you get in the car, here it is, it's Friday and you want to leave the office and you're excited to get home. And then you hit a lot of traffic. It's like, ah! you know, you had these plans. You're going to be late now. It's that, 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 uh, that feeling is simply due to pushing against the traffic. Now we think it's the traffic itself. It's born in the traffic, but it's not the traffic. It's our relationship to the traffic. And when we get, Oh, simply because I'm pushing against this now moment, it's causing myself to feel negative. And so if we can recognize, well, what is it that I'm pushing against? Well, does that serve me? No. I have a good example. I have two dogs. I love my dogs a lot. And they shed like crazy at them. Oh my God. It's a corgi. Like you rub your hand on hair everywhere on the hand. And this other, and our mutt. Oh my God. Amazing. But hair, hair, hair drives me crazy. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get rid of my dogs I, and I can't vacuum more than five times a day. So why am I pushing against all the dog hair? Like, just let it be, Amy, just let it be and do what you can. Right. You know, <laughs> you change your relationship yes. to it. Yes. And then there's way more flow in your day because you're not spent, you know, pushing against that yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So what I, what I, what I love what you're saying too, it's like, well, if something happens outside like dog hair, you have two options. One, you can solve the problem or you can have the, or you can have a problem that you can solve or not solve. And the second thing is you can have the problem and you can suffer. So the question really comes down to is like, do you want to have the problem, which is going to be out there if just life it isn't even really a problem. It's just life doing its thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and number two is, do you want to suffer from the problem or do you want to let go of the part of you that doesn't like it and then actually interact and deal with the problem? 
Yeah. And that's it. Because otherwise to, to push against the problem and try to do something against it, you're just eating up bandwidth because resistance takes up energy. It takes up resources. And it's kind of like saying, you know, let me hold out this weight while I have this conversation with you. It's like, well, I could do that, but this weight that I'm holding out outstretched for me is really going to eat up my resources for being connected here with you in this conversation. And so it just, it's just, it's futile. So put it down stop yeah. pushing, <laughs> give yourself the resources to actually deal with it or be with it. Right. Yeah. And then people struggle why they struggle interacting with life so much is because it's not the struggle with life. No. It's what you're doing to cause the commotion inside that is causing you issues dealing with life. Life really isn't the challenge, right? No. It's not fair. I get it. Like it's just, but as far as we know, this is the best place to come down and there's birds and there's trees and there's all sorts of different humans that are running around out there and they're all yeah. weird and they're all, we're all weird and they're all right. And yeah. <laughs> we're like, but hold on. That person's not really the way I want them to. That's right. right. That's so right. There shouldn't be dog here in this, dog dog here here in this office. Yes. How could there be there? Like, how could this dog get, that's been around for hundreds of years, right? Actually oh. shed. <laughs> yeah. Adam, and I'll tell you, you know, really to dive into this where, where it gets really practicable is it's all predicated on the word should things should be different. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, for me, it, it, it should is the biggest indicator of resistance because essentially when we say, Oh, there shouldn't be dog here. This person should be another way. That is just essentially us saying the what is right now is not acceptable and it needs to be otherwise. Yeah. Right. And that, but like needs to be otherwise, according to who and to what, yeah. right. There's no big book in the sky that says, here's the big book of shoulds. Yeah. You're going to live the good life. You got to do it just like this. Yeah. yeah. And it, that doesn't exist. And yet we hold ourselves to that imaginary standard and keep ourselves underwater with this resistance that causes us, that feels like, you know, crap. <laughs> you know, I wonder too, is, do you think that's because when, you know, really what you're doing there is listening to that little voice inside your head that says, I don't like this. I don't like this. And you're paying attention to it. And do you think we paying so much attention to that or Velcro to it or unconscious, whatever word you want to make is because sometimes it does work, right? It works momentarily or it works for a bit of time. It's like, Hey, Amy, you know, if you go figure out a way to get these dogs so they don't shed, like you're going to be happy. And then you get it to that way. And for a moment you're happy. Then it goes like, well, now on to the next, right? It's like, what's yeah. next? What's the yeah, next right. thing that it can yeah. do? But there is that moment where it does kind of open yourself up. You're not really resisting life because you got what you want. And when you get mm-hmm. what you want, you feel good for a second. Then it becomes its dependency. Oh. How do I just rearrange people, places, and things, all the nouns, right? That are yeah. out there. So I yeah. can get what I want to feel good for the moment. Well, that's certainly a way you can live your life, but it's not untethered. It's a trap. Yeah. No, it's it's a total trap. And, and that is what's called conditional living. I need the conditions to be just so in order to feel peace. But the moment... Our peace, our inner peace, our joy, our fulfillment becomes conditional. We will never, ever be free because we will never, ever, ever, ever find the conditions and line them up in just the way to be free. Because when we're living conditionally, we're always going to find it's Here it is. We are, our experience is predicated on this, this phenomenon called duality, right? You cannot have up without down. You cannot have birth without death. You cannot have light without dark. So if I need say light in order to feel good, in order to be happy, well, I, I sure as heck better see dark because otherwise I don't see light. But if I see dark, oh, now I'm not happy. And so as we attempt to search for all the conditions, we will always bump up against the counter conditions, which do the exact opposite. And so we might feel peace for a moment when I capture that light, but I can't hold on to it 
because light will cease to exist if I never run into dark. And so it is a, it is a, it is a, it is a false premise. We are constantly on the search for the final set of proof to be free, but no, you get to that, that, that rung of proof. You're going to bump into a whole new, it's just, it's a, it is a never ending game. It's, it's what I call the unwinnable quest. Yeah. Unwinnable quest. Yeah. How do you deal and help people in business um, with a couple questions here? One is that um, actually when the people go down this kind of conscious spiritual growth path, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, how do they deal with like things, right? Because there's yeah. things that they they have, uh, and then also how do people bring into uh, this into their business? Maybe yeah. they have a boss, or maybe they are the boss, and um, the other person isn't as enlightened, or no one use that word, <laughs> isn't on the same path that they are. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is a big conversation. Because it's totally individual and unique for each leader and for each person, just how far and how deep they want to go and just exactly what's needed. But really where it all starts is, is answering the question, what do you want to feel? Because most of us are stuck. What do we want to achieve? And what we forget and really what we're not taught is that everything we want, everything we think we want It's not the thing. It's the feeling we think we would have as a result of the thing. But we, 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 we forget that and we break that association and get stuck on the thing. And then it's the search for the thing, the promotion, the, the, let me own the business. Let me do this. Let me, forgetting that that's the ultimate map. And so really where it all starts is, well, what do you want to feel? And what's getting in your way of that? And then depending on what, emerges in that conversation is exactly where we'll take the work, which it can get super, it can get super rich and deep and and rather spiritual, or we can find inner peace by shifting mindsets and lessening resistance. And I mean, it's, it's really an individual process, you know, and it's, um, and it's really quite magical. When you do your executive kind of coaching with businesses, is that the process you would take an organization through? You know, at the core, at the, in its essence, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. The way I like to think about it, it's all about flow. For me, where, where what we're all looking for is flow. It's that experience where there's no resistance in our equation. Because when we are meeting each moment with no resistance, that means that I have, that I've got full bandwidth to see widely with full perspective. You know, nothing's jamming up my perception. I've got full full purview of the situation and with no resistance now with flow, I'm able to take disparate ideas, bring them together. Innovation. I can think into the future optimistically. I can feel empathy. I can, you know, there's, there's so much more possible. So to achieve that flow, that's really the conversation is how do we get to that state of flow where there isn't that jamming up of resources, right? And that jamming up of resources is really, it's all internal. And that, so that's really what that conversation is now does it relate to what we want to feel absolutely because that's really what we all want to feel <laughs> that sense of flow yeah. yeah yeah what does it mean to have a conscious business to you well to be conscious means to be awake mm-hmm. and to be awake that means that we are at that precipice of a precipice of each moment where i recognize that i'm at choice to either respond or react to the moment. 
And if I'm fully conscious, if I'm conscious, I'm awake and I recognize that choice point. And if I'm conscious, that also means I'm aware of the consequences of either responding or reacting. Now, responding, that's where freedom is. That's where abundance is. This is to respond means I'm going to actively step into this moment with full awareness, recognizing that I have an impact, recognizing that there is a greater good, recognizing that there are that, that there's a much bigger picture at stake here. Reacting is that involuntary, right? So when you think, let me look at the word react. It's an act, react. I'm going to deploy an act that's usually not of my choosing. And it's usually from a triggered state. It's a fear-based state. And so to be fully conscious is to harness that moment and to choose response because that's always going to be the path of least resistance and the path of highest good. And what does that mean? It means to be awake. It means to be able to be in that moment. Are you familiar with that quote from Viktor Frankl? It's one of my favorite quotes. It's Victor. It's, it is between stimulus and response. There is space. Mm-hmm. And in that space lies our ability to choose our response. Mm-hmm. And in our cho- response, in our choice lies our fe- freedom and our growth. And I love that quote. And that to me really is what it means to be conscious is to recognize that and to honor that. That's great. What does money mean to you? Money? Well, it's, you know, I recognize it's, you know, that can be quite a loaded um, concept for me. You know, I don't know if this is going to sound funny, but it's just like this fun game. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, you know, it just feels like this fun game. Like money is this currency where things just flow and it's, and you know, it's, it, it's just, it's just a game. It's just a game. And, and so my attachment to it personally, for me, it's, I don't have much of an attachment to it. And in fact, I use a statement and, you know, most people say easy come, easy go. I say easy go, easy come. <laughs> it's like easy go, easy come. You know, it's just it's it's just a currency. It's like water. It's like air. It just moves, and so it's um that's what it means to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. It's funny. A couple of weeks ago, I spent the day with Michael Singer, and one of the things he was, oh, was, I was yeah, it was awesome. And I was talking to him about because obviously you know he's built a, a business that was quite large, and I was like, you know, what is your you know, you've obviously gotten away from business, but what is the whole situation with money and business, everything? And he's like, you know, it's like, Adam, he's like, it's just like game of golf. He's like, there's gotta be some sort of metric or scorecard to make it fun while you're interacting with it all. I think it's just kind of a good way of doing it. It's like, you can call business a sport. We've heard that before, but really it's a sport that you just, you're, you're letting go of the personal outcome that you get from the sport itself, but still go play the sport, right? There's a line in the Gita that talks a lot about that, which it says, you kind of be laser focused on your result, but let go of the outcome. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really for business and people that are listening to this, because I think people struggle with, I kind of want to be spiritual. I kind of want to this path, but yeah, I don't want to lose my drive. And they explain that like you're being driven by a need right now. The funny thing is if you let go of that, you actually are driven by enthusiasm. You're yes. driven by joy, by peace. It's like, I always say to somebody, when if you wake up in the morning full of energy and enthusiasm, do you want to sit in bed? Because people say that to me like, so I'm just going to go like, let go of everything. And just why do I get out of bed? And I go, well, why would you get out of bed when you're full of love and enthusiasm and built from inside and uh-huh. fed from inside? So you can go out there and just interact with the world and you may become a billionaire. You may not, you may, it's almost irrelevant at that point. Oh, it is interaction with life. Yes. I love this so much. And that is such a common conversation, which is, oh my gosh, I see the possibility. I'm so afraid I'm going to lose my motivation. 
What am I going to get up for? And I say, oh my God, it's the complete opposite. Because at that point you are driven by inspiration, not by need. You are driven by a, a, a bigger concept, this feeling of joy and fulfillment instead of trying to fill a hole. And it is, it is infinite. That drive is infinite versus, versus finite. And it's, and it's so energizing versus exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, then you actually end up most likely getting the things that you wanted anyways, because you are actually interacting with the challenges of life from a sense of clarity, a sense of, of what's best for alignment or the Tao, what they've been talking about for thousands of years. Right. Instead of like, what do I need from this conversation? How's this affecting me? Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. What what does, um, what are you afraid of death? No, not at all. What does it mean to you? It's just a natural process. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting thing that, you know, all of us are going to go through it and lifetime experience. It's oh, exactly. And, um, I, I'm it's not even that I'm fascinated by it and no, no more fascinated than, you know, how I would witness a, as a, a tree emerging from a seed or how, you know, I, I gave birth to two amazing souls here on this earth and my children are everything to me. And, you know, that was an inevitable process. Did I fear birth? No, because we've been doing it for centuries. So why would I fear death? Yeah, I don't fear it. Um, I'm quite frankly, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm like, what's, you know, it's, it's, it's the great mystery. And, and, and I think the reason I look forward, well, it's not that I'm can't wait, but I don't have resistance to it. Right. It's like, I'm definitely going to maximize my time here. But for me, it's, it's just, it's, it's that next step and it's, um, part of the process. Yeah. Yeah. No fear. I always tell people too, it's like, well, if you die and you don't know, then it won't be a problem. It's not like you're going to be there going, I can't believe I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's just (laughs) not going to be there. Right. You're not going to be there talking about it, about it. You're just not going to be there. Just not, yeah. if you are there and you're going to experience what a beautiful opportunity it is to experience yourself outside of the physical bounds of a human body. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like one of those two ways. And so just stop thinking about it. Right. And yeah. I think people just get so caught up with death because they're still searching for the future moment and they're overvaluing the future moment and undervaluing the present moment. So yeah. therefore when death comes knocking around, they go, well, hold on. I still haven't hit my moment yet. Instead of actually realizing, walking around, realizing that you could, this could be your last breath. I mean, everybody that everybody's doing something, somebody's died doing it, right? So 100,000 deaths a day, essentially in the world. So yeah. if somebody is dying in every single moment, then um, why not just go live fully? Then death can take nothing from you. That's, that's, only, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's so well said. It's only the fear about what I'm going to miss out that caused people to be scared of death. It doesn't mean you don't mourn. It doesn't mean you don't do those things. I get those things and it's sad. Um, but it's just part of the transformational process. No. And I love how you put that. And I think that's absolutely right. It's when you decide to live, live fully live, which means all that's real is right now. Like, yes, I can have visions about the future. Yes. I can plan for my future. Yes. I can set a three or five year, 10 year goal, but my life is right now. And all that's real is right now. Yeah. All that's real is right now. Then you'll never feel like you've missed out. Yeah. And that. And maybe that's the reason I feel no fear about my life. I mean, I, I think the counterpoint here is that I have tremendous trust in the process yeah. and I fall back on that. And that gives me great fulfillment. 
to know that, Hey, you know what? There's so much more going on here (laughs) and I don't need to, uh, I'm a part of it. I don't need to control it. I don't need to necessarily know about it. If this wasn't the right process, then not, this wouldn't be happening. I don't know, but I, it's, I think that, yeah, that being present really is, is, that's yeah. where it's at. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you say that too, because it's like, you know, the world earth has been here for almost 4 billion years, according to scientists. Yeah. Galaxies have been here for about 13.8 billion years. And I was, we were giving this presentation or I was having a conversation with some of the other day. And I was like, you know, I understand that. Like we've only discovered like in terms of like Americans, like 246 years ago, like, you know, like 246 years ago. Right. So a couple hundred years and, you know, human sapiens have really only been around best guess of a couple thousand years. So the world's been here for 4 billion human sapiens having the ability to consciously kind of create and think and ask questions and regulate our lives has been around for maybe a couple thousand. So there's something like you, you to your point, you might as well trust in the process because what is the other alternative? Exactly. Did not That's just a belief in itself. Right. I mean, it's just that you, you got in here somehow you're witnessing, like they were so excited the other day they had it on, on TV where they're like, we got these amazing new photos from Mars. Everyone's got to look at these turtleback rocks. And I was like, cool, let's look at it. You turn them on there. And it's like red rocks with some lines on them that look like a turtle. I'm like, there's 50 birds outside my house. I'm looking at this. I'm like, as far as we won, we won the lottery galaxy place to become right now. So um, you could be looking at nothing. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's that's perspective yes yeah. spinning yeah. around in the middle of the planet right it's you just, really have you can yeah. pretty much handle the phone call you can yeah. handle the conversation that's happening yeah uh, in your beautiful new book living on purpose you know is there mm-hmm. anything that you want um uh any kind of final comment you want somebody to take away from that um or a line in there or a paragraph in there or a concept in there that really you wanted to share. I know you talked about conditioned versus unconditional, but is there anything that, uh, that you want to share from that? You know, gosh, there's the whole book is really predicated on this, the agency of choice. And we, that is really where our power is, is choice. And I don't think we honor that as much as we can. Yeah. And a lot of us become victim to our habits and become victim to a perception and a a point of perspective that we have just solidified via um, repetition. And we forget that we really are at choice to, to really live. And there there's just, and there's so much in this, this amazing gift that we have called choice. And that's kind of what the book is about. And so, I mean, I, Love that. It's, a, it's a collection of five choices and, and I think of them as five perceptual shifts yeah. and really to do that. It's just, it's understanding the magic of choice. And mm-hmm. when you can wake up and say, you know what, I'm at choice to either respond or react. I'm at choice to look at this mm-hmm. in a new way. I'm at choice to stop resistance. I'm at choice to appreciate and look at the birds instead of look at what I'm missing today. I, that really is when we start to live on purpose. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, I know people are going to love your book and, uh, and, and certainly love this conversation. So thank you again, Amy. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Adam. It's a pleasure. Hey, thanks for hanging today and for listening to the show. However, if you are interested in getting a short email from me in your inbox each Tuesday when a new episode drops, Ken. These emails are super short. 
I just cover whatever I happen to be thinking about each week, whether that's an article or a quote I've shared, a book I've read, or a new product that I'm loving. Plus info on the latest episode of Business Meets Spirituality. If that sounds like something you want to check out, we'd love you to, just go to adamhergenrother.com forward slash email.